Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. seen pictures of these long boats with lots of men rowing and that imagery gave rise to a saying which is leaning on the oar or leaning on the oars you would think with that many men I don't know how many on a ship you know maybe a 20 or 30 rowing that you could probably take it easy a little bit if you just keep in sync with everybody else and apparently that was possible and, uh, of course, I'm sure it was, sh was frowned upon by the person in charge. But it's possible to lean on the oars and just look like you're pulling your own weight. And I believe that that is a description of the person that God is talking to in Hebrews 6. God knows us, and he's talking very sternly to us Christians but as we come down to verses 9 through 12, I believe that the focus of this warning passage clarifies even more and helps us to understand that it's directed to some people in particular. Follow as I read Hebrews 6, verses 9 through 12. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation though we speak in this manner, and the manner was the warning that's given earlier. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I believe one of the great truths that's here is this. God has individual knowledge of his children. God knows us all as individuals. He doesn't look at First Baptist Church and paint us all with the exact same brush. God caused the author of Hebrews to write several very stern warnings, and Hebrews 6 is perhaps the sternest of all. And we, we find that warning in verse 4 when he says, For it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, it's impossible if they, are in, if they know the Lord and then they fall away from living for him to renew them again to repentance. But in verse 9, he says, But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. The truth that I think is here, and we'll see it borne out as we go through, is this. God knows where you are headed. 
the place to where you are headed is determined by your trajectory. That's a great word, isn't it? <laughs> if I were to point a weapon from right here and pull the trigger, it, the bullet would have a trajectory. Right from the very minute I pull the trigger, it is headed in a direction. And unless it hits something and is deflected off, it's going to follow that trajectory all the way until it runs out of power and falls to the earth. Your life has a trajectory. You are headed somewhere. The place you are supposed to be headed, according to Ephesians chapter 1, is toward Christ-likeness. God says, I have designed you and called you into salvation so that you might end up at Christ-likeness. The problem here in Hebrews is these folks were not all headed in the right way. The problem is this in a church. Let's say here's two different Christians. This one is headed toward being like Christ. This one has their own path chosen. We'll just call that self. Now right here, how different do those paths look? Well, they don't look very different at all, do they? But God knows where you're going to come out. He knows where you're headed. He knows your trajectory. And if you start on this path, that's where you're headed. If you start on this path, the question is, are you going to stay there or are you going to stop and get back on the right path? When God caused the writer of Hebrews to write this, what he is saying in general about the recipients is recorded for us in verse 12 of chapter 5. He says, by this time, you ought to be teachers, yet you need somebody else to teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. What, what does that statement mean to a group of people? Well, it seems to me that he says, your trajectory is toward immaturity. You are not headed toward mature Christ-likeness. You are immature as a group. Boy, that's a, that's a kind of, uh, that's a kind of reputation I don't want to have. And I don't want our church to have. We've composed a statement of how we would like to be known. We've composed a statement of the target to which we are aimed to the, to the place at which we would like to arrive, and it reads like this. First Baptist Church will be a God-honoring, Christ-like, spirit-empowered body of believers accomplishing God's purpose toward one another and the world. That's the target we have chosen. That's where we want to end up. When people look at our church, we don't want them to look in here and go, my, there's a nice social club. We want them to look in here and say, there's some folks that are becoming like Christ. These people in the book of Hebrews, however, were not on that trajectory. They were on one 
of immaturity headed toward their own objectives. How are you known as a Christian? What is your general reputation? If God was to call down from heaven today and put a one-word description on every one of us in, in, in spiritual terms, what kind of reputation would we have? These folks had a reputation of immaturity. And yet... Within God identifying these folks as immature, he does not indict every single believer, and he does not forget everything every believer has done. Look again at Hebrews 6, verse 10. He said, starting in verse 9, he said, We are confident that, that there, the things that identify you are those that accompany salvation, Verse 10, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints, and you do minister. Colossians 3, 23-24 says that when we do things, we ought to do them as unto the Lord, knowing that from the Lord we will receive the reward. And here he says the same thing in a different way. God will not forget the godly things you have done. Isn't that good? You know what it also means for these people right here and for us? Today's sin does not erase yesterday's righteousness. Now I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about earning salvation. As though you could do enough righteousness that God would erase the sin of your life. No, I'm talking about people who have already accepted Christ as their Savior. And in our Christian life, there are times when we live on a different path than the one God wants us to. And God says, you know what, I remember the righteous things you have done. For these people here, he puts it this way. He says, your work, your labor of love, and in particular, he talks about ministering to the saints. And that probably is a reference to financial or some type of material support to the brothers and sisters in Christ. There, were, there was a great deal of persecution in the early time of the church. There is a great deal of persecution today. They gave to support the persecuted Christians, and that was a tremendous work that God remembered. And then, of course, they just in general, the work and the labor of love... One author said the work indicates the, the quantity of things done and the labor of love indicates the quality of their work. Labor of love. God keeps track of every righteous deed we do and he will reward us for it. Wow. And you know what? God has a perfect memory. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Uh, I don't. I have, a, I have a pretty good memory. It's just short. But God remembers every single thing. And these folks had done some great ministry. But you know what the problem was? It almost seems like because they had done some good ministry, maybe they were easing up a little bit on the oars. You know, the, the captain water skied yesterday. He doesn't need to ski again today, does he? You know, I, I really served the Lord years ago, but boy, today. 
In 1 Corinthians 10.12, we find this challenge. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Have you ever seen somebody walk on a tightrope? I saw a picture of it in the paper this week. Um, I thought maybe it was one of those uh, foolish television stunts until I read the whole article, but, you know, some of those shows with the name that I can't mention in church here about people doing crazy stunts. Well, this is at Western Washington University, and somebody set up a tightrope, and they actually had harnesses and, you know, wires to keep you from falling down and hurting yourself. I mean, you could fall off of the tightrope, but you wouldn't be injured because of the, the safety uh, precautions they had taken. I want you to think about somebody walking a tightrope. Do they look relaxed and casual? You see them up there going? Now they're trying, they want to make you think it's not that big a deal, you know. But, you know, when, when you see the perspiration or the perspiration and you see the careful measured steps you just know that every muscle in their body is working. To him that thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. When you're walking a tightrope, there's no, there's no opportunity to relax. Relaxation is for those who get bruised. If you ever get to the point in your Christian life where you think you have the Christian thing down pat, then you should get ready to get bruised. God says we need to keep giving effort to our Christian life right until the day we see Jesus face to face. Somehow these folks were leaning on the oars. They were lightening up. They were giving up. They were slowing down. They were, they were falling beside. They were, they were not doing what they should have been. They had done some great ministry, and that may have even contributed to the fact that now they're taking it easy. He gets down to the real heart of the issue in verse 11 when he says this. We desire that... Each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. We desire that each one of you do the same diligence. Just as God knows us individually as Christians, the second thing we need to understand here is this. God has individual expectations for his children. The first one is this. He expects us to do our own work. If you can remember back to school days, some of you are in school, that's an instruction that the teacher gives from time to time. Do your own work. <laughs> Especially when you see the eyes wandering, you know. Do your own work. I used to have a problem with this when our kids would bring home assignments from school and I, we were supposed to help them, but the nature of the assignment was such that we would have to do 90% of it. And I thought, that just doesn't seem right that we should do their work. They, they should change the assignment, but apparently that's the way homework is supposed to be done because we kept getting these same kinds of assignments done home. I had a friend in high school who I had several classes with, like chemistry and geometry and algebra, and uh, somehow we kind of clicked together in the classroom. We didn't spend any time outside the classroom, and we enjoyed the same kind of uh, foolish sense of humor and whatnot. 
And uh, in geometry in particular, I can remember that there were a lot of times when we used to play tabletop football. You remember that? You, make, you take a piece of paper and you fold it up into a triangle and you, you flick it across. But the difference between him and me was I got an A and he got, I don't know what, like a D maybe in geometry. <laughs> he used to try to kind of copy off my paper. And Lord have mercy, I'd have none of that because the teacher went to my church <laughs> and I knew I'd get in trouble there and there and then at home. Do your own work. You know the real problem in copying somebody else's schoolwork is that the student might get a grade, but not an education. They might look good, but they do not get prepared to succeed as adults. God desires that each one of you show the same diligence. Are you doing your own work for the Lord, or are you hoping to get credit from God by your association with other Christians? We have a song called the you know, Faith of Our Fathers. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, and it goes on and on. You know what? You know what the faith of your father will do for you in getting you off the ground toward heaven? It can set an example, can teach you the truth. But his faith won't get you to heaven. You need to have your own faith. The godliness of your mother will not make God smile on your life. You must live righteously and grow up yourself. If Billy Graham or John MacArthur or Charles Stanley or some other great man who you respect came to pastor this church, it would do you no good unless you practice what they preach from the Bible. Can you imagine going downtown and saying, I'm a member of Charles Stanley's church. And the people downtown or your workplace would go, yeah, so? You live like the devil while you're here. God says, do your own work. It's not, it's not enough that our church have the right target it's not enough that our church be headed toward the right thing. You need to be headed toward being a God-honoring, Christ-like, spirit-empowered believer, accomplishing God's purpose toward one another and the world. You must aspire to live for the Lord. God expects us to do our own work, and then God expects us to work hard. Boy, this is the thing we miss in Christianity sometimes. Look at verse 11 again. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end. Diligence. This word diligence is used a number of times in the New Testament. Let me just give you a few of them. You can note the reference and read it later if you like. 2 Peter 1.5 says, Giving all diligence, add to your faith. Romans 12.11, in general to all Christians, it says, that we should not lag behind in diligence. 2 Corinthians 8.7 says we should abound in diligence. 2 Timothy 2.15 says be diligent to present yourself as a, an approved workman. That's the Awana key verse. Hebrews 11.6 says God rewards those who diligently seek him. 2 Peter 1.10 says be diligent to make your call and election sure. Here's a trick question. 
Do you know where your effort and God's work be begins? Where your effort stops, excuse me, and God's work begins? I don't either. <laughs> it's a trick question. All I know is that God says, be diligent. That means that I have got to be working to apply God's word to my life. I've got to be working to do the things that he says. And then he's going to come in next to me, on top of me, underneath me, around me, whatever he's going to do, and empower what I'm doing. Now, you know, I'm fully aware that trying to verbalize this is kind of a, kind of a minefield because there are some extremes. The one extreme is we don't have to do anything. God does it all. You know, we, we, we talked about missions today. A couple of hundred years ago, a, a young man wanted to go to the mission field, and, and the elders in his church association said, young man, if God wants to win the heathen, he'll do it without you. And we think, what? Yeah. God is calling people to salvation. He doesn't need our help. Well, that's crazy. But then there are folks on the other end of the scale who will say, if you don't witness, their blood's going to be on your hands. Well, friends, I don't think God is limited totally to you, but he has chosen to use you in the work of evangelism. And the same thing could be said about the Christian life. Is it the Holy Spirit who builds up righteousness in me, or is it my effort to apply God's word? The answer is yes and yes. Sometimes we get this idea that it's all of God, and so we don't really work that hard. God says, you need to work hard. God knows what you're capable of. You may not be as capable of serving the Lord as the person sitting next to you in the pew. That doesn't matter. What matters is, is that you are being diligent before God for your life and for your ministry. Third thing that we understand here about our individual expectation from God is this. God expects us to gain hope through our diligence. Look there at verse 11 again. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence with the result being the full assurance of hope until the end. You know how you're going to become assured in your relationship with Christ? You know how you're going you're to just be confident down in your soul? It's by day by day, by day, diligence at knowing and growing in the Lord. If you're here today and you say, well, you know, I, you know, I thought I knew the Lord when I was a child, but I'm not too sure now. The first question I'd ask you is, how much time have you been spending with the Lord? Well, you know, it's been a long time. Well, then I understand how you're not very assured of your relationship. God says our diligence will result in our assurance of hope to the end. We cannot sit on our spiritual hands and suddenly turn out to be spiritual giants. <laughs> you know, when you look at a, at a guy like Billy Graham and you ask the question, how did he get there? He got there by way back in his life saying, I'm going to do something for God. And lo and behold, God showed up to work with him. Now, Billy Graham's not perfect. I know that. But he took a step out and said, I'm going to work for God. 
Oh, Lord, he wants to give us assurance, but it comes through our diligent daily effort. Diligence in godliness results in a full assurance in a contrary way, in attention to the word of God and to Christian character and ministry reduces assurance. The fourth expectation that God has for us here is this. He expects us to follow godly examples. Look in verse 12. He says, I expect you to not become sluggish. That's the same word for dull of hearing that is used up at the end of chapter 5. I expect you not to become sluggish, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I expect you not to become sluggish, but to imitate. The word imitate is where we get our word mimic. And it's used in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, when the Apostle Paul says, Mimic me or imitate me as I mimic Christ. Have you ever heard of someone asking a small child to identify one of their heroes and have the child point to a well-known slacker? <laughs> See that guy over there who always gets, gives up when the going gets tough? He's my hero. See that mediocre woman who gives up when things don't improve right away? Oh, she's what I want to be like someday. Who are you looking up to? Who are the people who you say, this person knows the Lord and I want to follow their faith. I want to, I want to follow their example. And again, nobody's perfect. But I would be glad to finish my life with the integrity of a Billy Graham. You know, when you're that high profile, if you take one misstep with money or women or anything like that, everybody in the world's going to know about it tomorrow. And have you ever heard of him being accused in any moral area of his life at all? Boy, I would be thrilled to end my life with the integrity of that guy. I would be thrilled to have the staying power of a Jerry Falwell. Now, believe me, I don't like everything Jerry Falwell's done. But that guy said, I'm going to my hometown, and I'm going to plant the church, and I'm going to reach the people in my hometown. And that's what he's done for his whole ministry, one church. And now one university and one Bible institute and so on. And believe me, I know there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff we might not like, but there's a lot of substance there too. I would love to have the staying power of a Jerry Falwell. I would love to have the commitment of a John MacArthur to studying the Word and knowing the Word. I don't think any one man or woman embodies every example that we need, but who are you looking to for your example? Are you following the example of your best friend? And the second question is, who is your best friend? By God's inspiration, the person who wrote this scripture said, look, folks, here's what you got to do if you're going to succeed. Mimic the people who have faith and patience to inherit what God has laid before them. He's going to talk, and we're going to get into this next week, He's going to talk about Abraham in the very next verse. And Abraham is a prime example. Abraham had to wait for years and years for the fulfillment of God's promise. Did he give up? 
No. We need to be following people. And, and I know she will, she, will, she will say, Pastor Dave, you shouldn't have said that today. I'll tell you the kind of people you ought to follow, ladies. Iola Boyer. She's not a perfect example, but look at the, the integrity and, and the commitment to ministry over years and years. Man, and so many more of you out here that I could name. That's who we need to be following. God says, that's how you're going to make it, by following good examples. Don't become sluggish. Oh, man. I don't know if anybody is sluggish in Ferndale. You know, this is the most vigorous bunch of mature people I have ever met. But we need to think about that in the spiritual realm. We can be physically active and spiritually sluggish. God says, don't do it. Christianity is a team sport. God wants us to work together. But the team sport that we most resemble, I think, would be like track and field, where each individual on the team wins or loses alone. And the question we ask today is, how is your race going, Christian? Are you expecting somehow to float along on the godliness of others? Or are you running to win yourself? Heavenly Father, help us to run to win. Help us not to lean on the oars. Help us to do our own work and reap our own reward from you. Father, thank you for your truth. Bring it home to our lives, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you need help, if you need help getting on the path to the higher ground, I would love to help you today, this week. Don't let God's work in your heart go by. Heavenly Father, Thank you for loving us and caring for us and for calling us to diligence, to effort, to work. May we do our part this week. Father, bring us back together again tonight to study your word, to fellowship, to enjoy one another. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.